and welcome to episode 21 of Slytanic Vercast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, the mighty Slayer. Each week we dissect a track from their back catalogue by playing through the song, analysing the lyrics and giving a final appraisal. I'm Mo from France and to my west, broadcasting from Britain's largest mortuary, it's Dr. Lequescence. How you doing, Doc? Well, as you can probably imagine, I am absolutely in my element. Mm-hmm. Um, I could stay here forever. Um, I believe um, in the light of recent world events, uh, there are more than 800 human cadavers. Um, because the site is now full, it has been declared off limits and mm-hmm. sealed until such time as the postmortems can be carried out, 400 of them. That's estimated to be September. So I may actually be here for another nine months um, <laughs> because the possibilities are endless. Absolutely. Organs to be harvested, fluids to be drained, brains to be dissected, cells to be sifted, categorized, um, perhaps in liquid nitrogen for future use. And this is, um, nothing, this is nothing to do with your medical... As, as a wise man once said, there's no place in the world I'd rather be. And this is nothing to do with your medical conditions, is it? This is just, this is just for fun, isn't it? Business and pleasure. Yeah, yeah, a combination of the two. Um, did you select the location? Did you select the loca- the location based on the subject matter of tonight's song? Um, I choose to view it as synchronicity. Mm, okay. um, I choose to view it as divine approval for the enterprise I'm undertaking alone and the, en- and the enterprise we're undertaking together. <laughs> Pure serendipity. It's wonderful. Now, Doc, I've been having my anxiety dreams again. Um, you said the tramadol would help, but it has not, unfortunately. Uh, let, me give, let me give you three recent examples, if I could. Um, dream number one, I go to have a shave and I look in the mirror and I notice that my lips are all swollen, like they've been Botoxed into oblivion. Um, so I slice them open with a razor blade. And instead of blood pouring out, thousands of tiny spiders crawl out. Um, all very unpleasant. Um, dream number two, the classic, unable to find your way dream. Um, last night was at a train station looking for platform number six and no matter where i looked platform six was nowhere to be seen um and dream three trying to scramble up a muddy hill and constantly slipping back down just as i'm to reach the top now it doesn't take a world-class psychologist to analyze the last two but the spiders thing what's that about doc as a bad comedian would say what's that about I think it's basic body horror. Um, I very infrequently remember my dreams. Um, And the ones I remember um, are very often to do with bodily infestation, um, which is odd because it's not something in waking life I'm particularly frightened of. Mm -hmm. Um, I should probably be more scared of cancer than I am, am. Um, but somehow I'm not. Um, I should probably be more frightened of um, necrotizing fasciitis 
or, or, or decomposing flexion bone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really not. Um, but somehow, whenever I have strange dreams, they very often involve some part of my body um, being invaded by, by, by something living, something sentient. Um, there was one I had quite frequently when I was very small. Um, and I, I, I had an itching under my forearm, and it would itch and itch and itch. And eventually, the only way to, to relieve it was to take hold of a piece of skin at the end of my wrist, almost as if it were a piece of, of sticking plaster, and peel back the skin the whole entire length of my forearm. Oh, sure. After which, numerous um, moving, vaguely sentient blood clots would fall out. Oh, God, that's a great one. Don't they call that degloving? Yeah. Um, possibly. I mean, I, I think I probably had this when I was around about six years old. Mm. Um, and um, I, I think the, the, the fear of your, your, your oneness or the, the, the sanctity of your, your flesh or your, the thing that you're basically supposed to be in control of. Mm-hmm. Um, I always think of it, um, it, there's even a word for it now in, 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 in the post-Cronenberg world, and it, it's very popularly referred to as, as, as body horror. Um, and I sort of put it alongside fear of madness or dreams about madness. Um, The thing you're supposed to be in control of, the one damn thing in the world that you are supposed to own uh, and supposed to be able to bend to your will, Um, suddenly getting out of your control um, or taking on a life of its own or refusing to obey you. And I I always think about it as anxiety concerning your lack of control over your environment, Mm. um, the place where you live, the conditions in which you live. Um, the, resort, the, the necessary resources which you have to be able to live. Um, I think it's a manifestation of those same anxieties. Yeah. May I tell you about a very strange dream I had a few nights ago? Please. We all ears. Um, well, once again, I, I very rarely remember my dreams, and this one is so odd. Um, for some reason, I was being interviewed um, for a reasonably well-paid, not a brilliantly paid, but a reasonably well-paid job in one of the oil-producing states in the Middle East. Um, And somehow, in this dream, I could speak basic Arabic. I could speak Arabic well enough to be able to get through the interview. But in my dream, I was definitely speaking Arabic, even though Mm -hmm. I can't speak Arabic. Mm -hmm. The guy who was interviewing me seemed relatively well-pleased, and he said, well, there's there's a bit of an initiative test. Um, There's there's a task, a bit of a problem-solving task that we we, we need, I, I need you to demonstrate and I expected to have to be able to build something electronic-ish or maybe solve a maths problem or maybe play chess with a guy or something like this. And he said, uh, I need you to go to this building out on the bay. Um, the bottom floor and the first floor are occupied. There are people working there, but I need you to go up to the top floor, which is completely deserted, because there's a guy there um, or what's left of a guy who I murdered uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, and there's some very, very important documents um, that he's got, and I need you to go and get them. And I saw it a couple of times, and I thought, you know, different places, different standards. Um, <laughs> this guy is obviously important and influential, and maybe that flies. Um, just like in Star Trek, mate, mind not to judge other people's cultures. Mm-hmm. Of or course. The standards by which they operate. Yeah. That's how things have been out here. So I went into the building. Um, the building was most definitely not anywhere in the Middle East. 
it was more like somewhere you'd find in a pretty run-down part of Stoke-on-Trent. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was great list. Um, it was a four-story concrete building um, with stainless steel casement windows. Um, and I realized I'd forgotten to ask the guy, like, where are these papers? Um, does he have them in a briefcase? Are they in his coat pocket? I wasn't delighted about the idea of having to go anywhere near this. Probably by now, uh, quite putrefying human cadaver. Sure. Um, so I found a payphone. Um, I found a payphone, and I called him. And he said the papers are down his trousers. And the next, actually, in dream time, the longest part of the dream, was me trying to summon up the courage to walk across the floor um, to this putrescent, maggoty, decomposing mess and you know, look at my hand and think, I've got to take this hand and I've got to put it down this rotting cadaver's trousers and, and we know it's... around and try and get out whatever's in there. And we know it's a dream because in reality you have a grotesque flipper, but in, in the dream world you have a normal hand. Very interesting. And also, in reality, I would relish the task. Yeah, of course. Yes. Um, I would. I, I mean, I, I, I'd, I, I'd, I'd be taking. I'd be taking a napkin into my collar and um, uh, pulling my plastic knife and fork out of my inside pocket. Absolutely, spooning him up um, like like an angel delight. <laughs> definitely a dream. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I'm afraid. Afraid? No, I'm not even really afraid. Um, anxiety dreams, I think, tend to be not very Freudian at all. Mm. Um, uh, I think most of them can be very easily sort of categorised in anxiety about your environment, um, where you're going to live, how you're going to get money, um, or sufficient money for your requirements, or um, your body or your brain getting away from you in ways that you don't want them to. Mm, mm. Um, when it comes down to it, I don't think many human beings earnestly have real existential fears. I think most people's fears are far more mundane than that. Sure. And identifiable, kind of easily identifiable in, in the in in in, 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 da- in you know the cold light of day. I don't think they're buried in our subconscious, are they? Um, some of them are. I mean, um, you know, if, if you happen to have a dream about um, being an ancient Egyptian pharaoh um, and being given, for instance, Angel Delight, when everyone should know damn well that you hate Angel Delight, even mm. though they didn't have Angel Delight in ancient Egypt. <laughs> uh, well, that might be something to do with some long buried part of your subconsciousness. I mean, I don't know why being dressed as a boy king and being forced to take mouthful after mouthful after mouthful of sticky white liquid mm. might say anything about your subconscious. No. I, I don't know what that could have anything to do with at all. I've got no idea. I'm sure someone does. Yeah, I've got absolutely no idea what you could be referring to. Very, very mysterious. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. Here, we play the track, pause it from time to time to discuss what we're listening to and generally just get on down. This week's song is track five from Slayer's second album, Hello Whites, called Necrophiliac. Here we go. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
stop it straight away, Doc, and just mention Dave Lombardo instantly. There's, there's a moment there that I think encapsulates what makes Dave so great. Just before they kick back into the roof after the stops, he drops in a totally unnecessary snare hit that just maintains the momentum, propels the whole thing forward. Most drummers, I think, would cut, they wouldn't even play it. And if they did play it, they'd cut it out at, at, the, at the mixing stage. They leave it in and it is absolutely wonderful. Did, did you spot it? Yes, I did. Um, it's one of, one of those things that Slayer do increasingly uh, as we move through this album. Um, and it's, it's one of the things that makes them special. Um, they have a gift for timing these things that superficially don't seem very much, but as part of the whole, just add a lot to the, the tension and the dynamism um, of what it is that they're playing. I'm going, to, I'm going to play it from the start again because I, I love it so much. Here we go. <laughs> This opening riff is something that they will recycle on at least another three occasions, by my reckoning. Um, there's definitely a track on South of Heaven that uses almost the identical riff. And then, of course, War Ensemble, you know, the the, the, the opener to Seasons in the Abyss and, and a live stalwart. Mm -hmm. um, the, the verse riff is, is I mean, I, I've played both songs. It is almost the same thing. Um, so they, they, they clearly realised that they'd hit onto a winner here. Stuff like this bothers some people. Um, it doesn't bother me at all uh, <laughs> for three reasons. Um, I own albums by bands who've only ever used one chord throughout their whole entire career. Mm -hmm. um, from the point of view of economy and what one might almost say environmentalism, uh, I hate waste. Uh, if you've got a really, really good idea, um, the chances are, by the time I'm done listening to the song in which it's featured, I'm not even done with hearing that idea. Uh, if it's a really good one, if it's a really good riff, um, then um, I just want to keep on listening to it. Yeah. I don't really think it's possible to plagiarise yourself. I think it's just like repurposing, retooling, and, 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 and kind of, you know getting maximum efficiency out of the tools at your disposal. That's how I would see it. At the risk of being crass, um, do many serious literary critics um, read The Tempest um, and go, oh my God, at this stage in, in his, uh, of his career, and, and he's using iambic pentameter again? Mm, yeah, what a, what, 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 a, what a boring old fraud Shakespeare was. What a tosser. Um, you know... Um, does, doesn't he know any other structure other than the sonnet? Why does he have to keep writing those? Hasn't he got any other ideas? Um, Bloody Shakespeare. Bloody Shakespeare. Um, um, no, I mean, if, if it's a really good idea, um, I just never get sick of hearing it. Um, the example that springs to mind, and I know it's not a riff that's re-quoted in other songs, um, Supernaut by Black Sabbath, which is basically the one riff all the way through and a track that's about six and a half minutes long. Minutes long. And but, but what a riff, so Doc. Not, 
Well, you're so not tired of hearing that riff that when the song finishes, you want to lift the needle up and take it back to the start and listen to it for another six and a half minutes because it's so great. Yeah, you're quite right. Should, should we press on? <laughs> full-on thrasher isn't it doc absolutely um take care prisoners um lets you know what you're getting in the first second and a half um mm-hmm. and then goes on to deliver mm-hmm. um i like the pace of this track i like slayer when they are this pace mm-hmm. normally quite a bit better um than when they're faster than this yeah um, because it is it is kind of mid-paced isn't it for slayer i suppose I would say so, yeah. Mm. But there's a there's a darkness it's to it that, that so, comes with that. Yeah. Um, so when we get on to the next album, um, we'll have a really really good chance to explore. Can you be evil and fast and heavy at the same time? Mm. And we're going to have a whole album of nothing but um, asking ourselves that question every single week. So yeah, I'm yeah. not going to flog that question too much at the moment. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll um, get to it. We'll get to it. I'm, I'm really, really happy with the pace of this track. And like you just said, um, just slowing down a little bit, I think, gives you a chance to put some more of those textures in, like that ty- that, that one tiny thing, that one drum hit at the beginning of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, in the section you just played, um, there's a bit, and I don't know if it's a studio mistake or I don't know if it's a purposeful flourish, but there's, there's an odd chord. There's just mm. one odd chord mm. that it's unusual for Slayer to play open chords or what you might call conventional chords anyway. And it does it just once in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. And it's jarring and off-putting. And I don't think you'd notice it um, if the track was much faster. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy with it so far. Good, good. Are we back in the new album territory, um, do we think? I can't see your face very well at the moment, um, but um, knowing you as well as I do, um, that last section, the, the last section of the last section that you just played, um, I was trying to picture whether uh, you had a disgusted grimace um, <laughs> or a huge gurgling, shit-eating grin on your face <laughs> during that bit. Oh my God, that's cheesy. Mm-hmm. Um, that is cheesier... Um, that is cheesier than a pair of two-year-old football socks that have had some camembert stuffed inside them and then hung up in a fermentation vat for a year. <laughs> You're quite right, but but I still think there is kind of a, a dark edge to it that I think, you know, kind of 
helps it escape being tarred completely with the new album brush. I love my classic UK horror films. Um, I love classic, well, not necessarily classic, I love 19th century horror literature. Um, I love um, mid-century ghost stories and things like this. I don't think that being cheesy um, or having really, really obvious flourishes in something deprives it of its ability to be scary, be disturbing, be effective. I, I don't think it robs it of that at all. Um, what I'm going to say here is that the presence of the Norban cheese um, in an environment that otherwise owes nothing to Norban at all mm-hmm. um, is an interesting little period callback. It's odd and jarring but in a way that I think contributes to the atmosphere instead of detracting from it. Yeah, it's interesting. It is is almost a call back to the first album, isn't it? You know, I could hear that bit, you know, change the production slightly, you know, get rid of the detuning on the guitars. And that, 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 you know, four bar riff section we just heard would happily slot into Die by the Sword, for example. No problem at all. Yeah, um, except, of course, on the first album, um, instead of being four bars, it would be 32 bars, and there'd be at least one Rob Halford scream at the squeal in the middle of it. (laughs) That's true. Let's crack on. soloing doc i'm gonna say hannon oh you're Hanneman. wrong you are wrong it's tough it's it's a tough game isn't it goodness gracious me. yeah i know it's a real I, I would have agreed I'm, with you doc yeah, i would have totally agree I'll, I'll explain i'll explain how i came to that decision and i'll explain what misled me um so hand up first of all um wrong wrong very wrong this is why i thought it uh, because Kerry King seems not to be able to know how to finish a solo. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one finished very decisively. It didn't just sort of stop. Sure. Um, it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, and that's what made me think it was Mr. Hanman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, props to Kerry. Yes, you do know how to finish a solo. Please do it more. <laughs> going on absolutely fabulous oh definitely um i mean that's that is pretty evil actually isn't it oh yes yes the 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 choice of chords behind it the evil melody um and just hanneman in the background just hanging you know the 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 sick sick chords it's absolutely it's splendid doc i fucking love it 
Uh, to ask you a question based on one of your uh, favourite phrases from history. Uh, does that count as a morbid melody, do you believe? Oh, it's, oh, it's definitely a morbid melody, yes, I think so. A morbid melody with, with you know, kind of evil, melancholy chords in the background. Sensational. <laughs> find this this riff a little bit weak um and the reason is i don't understand why dave isn't following the rhythm of the of, of the rhythm guitar because the, the rhythm guitar is going i don't understand why dave isn't following that same rhythmic pattern it makes no sense to me I mean, there's no question, is there, that um, for whatever reason, Dave was incapable of following this. Of course he was capable of Oh, no, of, of course not. Um, so the, the, only, the only rational explanations are, one, um, he didn't think it was a very good rhythm, mm. or um, he decided he would try and create some counterpoint um, by playing in a completely different rhythm. Mm. And that kind of thing can have its place. Um, I think it can really, really have its place. But I don't know whether it has a place in Slayer songs, and I certainly don't think it has a place there. Um, the end result is not um, fractured polarisms. The end result is it sounds under-rehearsed. Yeah, it sounds a bit sloppy, doesn't it? It really sounds sloppy. It yeah. sounds like like a temporary beat that you just put in until you think of something better. Spot on, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it sounds like... Uh, they were rushed into recording with a couple bits that still needed working out in the practice room. Because I would expect, you know, the Dylan, 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 you know, for, for Dave just to hit the double bass flurries there, just to just to hit it perfectly and really yeah. accentuate the riff that's going on. It, it, it's baffling. It, it can only be, it can only be a lack of practice and a lack of time. I, the, 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 I think I think your explanation is absolutely correct. Here's a question: Have you? By any chance, um, heard any live recordings of this track from much later on, and is it the same? Well, funnily enough, um, it, it, as preparation for this particular episode, I did watch um, a live performance, I think from about 2010. You know, I, I, I tend to watch a live performance just so I'm sure who's playing the solos, basically. Um, yeah. I did. I must be honest. I did. I didn't notice. I, I would have to listen again. But I think I would have spotted it if it was different because I know this song like the back of my bloody hand. Um, so I, I, I didn't notice sure. a change. Um, interesting. So evidently they were satisfied with enough with it to leave it in for twenty-five years. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, maybe maybe they take the position that you know once once it's on the recording it becomes canon and, and you don't touch it. Uh, is that something Slayer do often? I mean, I, I, I can't think of many bands who play a song exactly the same for their whole entire career. Transversely, I can't think of a track that Slayer ever played differently to on the album. 
I'm sure this is something we'll get to discuss when we when we when we get to uh, their live album, Decades of Aggression, sometime in the middle of 2022. <laughs> We've only got about 30 seconds to go, Doc. I reckon we finish it up and then we'll have a chat about it. What do you think? I think so, too. So there we go. That was Necrophiliac from Hello Whites. Um... Come on then, Doc. What, what, what are your impressions? Um, so this is another one of those epochal Slayer songs, isn't it? It's where, um, in a way, a previous era gives way to not a fully formed new era, but a seminal, um, embryonic version of what's going to be a new era. So... Um, there was a bit half, so the three quarters of the way through the first album, which I think we came to the conclusion, yes, now all of the pencil sketches are there for what the second album is going to be. This is the start of the pencil sketches for, um, I think what many people regard as Slayer's Purple Patch, Slayer's Real Golden Age, um, is going to be. It's not fully formed yet. It's not as fast as it's going to get. It's not as intense as it's going to get. Um, it's not as downright as a, a, offensive as it's going to get, although it's pretty offensive. Um, and it's one of those moments on an album. Um, and I would be fascinated to know if anyone who bought this album knew. Um, so when it came, if, if someone bought this album on the day it came out and listened to it, um, had any inclination that this was going to be the next phase of Slayer. Mm. What about you? You yeah, know, th that's a great point. I mean, I, I can talk about, um, you know, my first experiences with the album. Um, and this was certainly the track that stood out to me, um, you know, and it was the one that I kept listening to the most. Um, but, but, you know, that is not to say that I was somehow prescient because, you know, I, I had the benefit of, of already having listened to Rain in Blood, South of Heaven and Seasons in the Abyss before I got my hands on a copy of Hell Away. So, you know, I was coming coming to it as facto, basically. Um, so it, it, it's difficult to put yeah. yourself in that position. But it is true, no doubt, this is the, this is the, the you know, the cut off the, off the album that really, really spoke to me. Um, it's the one that, that, you know, was on repeat constantly, um, you know, the, the, if I was going to listen to a Hell Awaits track, it was going to be Necrophiliac. First track I learnt off the album, you know, just, just you know, yeah, the, 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 absolute standout for me. Um, 
I, I must tell you as well, Doc, before uh, before you, before you chip back in, um, the, the 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 live version that I watched earlier um, had Tom Araya, <laughs> and he introed the track marvelously just by saying. Um, this next song is about older women, which I just thought was very, very funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, they're, they're, not really much for, they're not really much for the witty intros, are they? No, no. It's unusual for it's unusual. For, it's unusual for him to drop a gag, certainly. But it made it made me laugh. I liked it. Um, yeah, it's a it, 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 it's a Stone Cold classic for me. Um, I think you're right. It it is kind of a like a precursor to what's coming next. Um, I can I can understand why it caused such outrage, but I guess we'll get into that in in the next part of the show when we get when we start to tackle the lyrics. Um, it, 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 anything else to add before we before we move on to those words of doom? Well, I think even before you get onto the words, you can begin to understand what might have caused uh, some outrage. Um, it does a lot of things so unconventional that they're just plain wrong. Um, and I'm not particularly changing my mind, or I'm not particularly reversing myself or contradicting you here, but the section that we talked about earlier on where <clears throat> basically it sounds like the drumming doesn't go together with the rest of the track, mm. um, the thought is crossing my mind. Um, this was another, it's, it's another part or another one of the many attempts that this song has of doing something that's never been done before. Um, it's a song full of stuff that's just plain wrong. Um, lyrically, as we'll see, and musically, as we have seen, there's, there's stuff that doesn't fit together, sometimes intentionally, sometimes maybe unintentionally, and there's stuff that is clearly meant to be clashing and out of place. So I mean, even before you begin to think about the lyrics, I find the, the music, I find the composition pretty shocking by itself. Mm, mm. Yeah, and, and, and that bit that I said was weak. Actually, interestingly, pretty much as soon as we started replaying it, the last couple of bars, Dave seemed to kind of sync in with, with the guitars and it seemed to work much more naturalistically and, and more how you would expect clearly indicating as you as you as you as you posited clearly indicating that the first four bars were a deliberate choice and maybe it was just to put you on the wrong foot you know and and and, and so the rest of the track just had more impact somehow yeah and um if i can take a guess at anything um this is one of the few and actually increasingly few of the much vaunted influence from hardcore bits that allegedly Slayer is supposed to be packed full of, although I'm having trouble spotting. Mm. Um, that business of deliberately playing things out of time, deliberately playing things that sound amateurish, deliberately being sloppy, and then snapping back into something that's very tight and very well disciplined and very well organized. Um, that's something that wouldn't be particularly out of place in a Minutemen track or a Meat Puppets track or something like that. Sure. Um, and you know, a, a, amongst a bunch of people who are simultaneously confident enough in themselves and self-effacing enough about themselves that they will play really, really sloppy sometimes, um, and then snap back into 
uh, lockstep discipline mode just to prove that they can. Could it also be, um, you know, that could it also be, Doc, that, you know, we, we kind of know, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 the influences, certainly of Kerry and of Jeff, you know, Kerry is the more straight ahead kind of new album heavy metal guy. And Jeff is, you know, purportedly the like the hardcore and punk kid. Um, and we know from what Dave Lombardo went on to do after Slayer, you know, his work with Mike Patton in particular, that he, you know, he loves he loves experimentation, doesn't he? Um, so, you know, could, could a moment like that be, you know, okay, you get you you, you kind of get your rough shard, sloppy, you know, amateurish sounding bit, and that keeps Jeff that that keeps Jeff happy. Then we get the tightness, you know, that, that, that makes Kerry feel like he's playing real heavy metal. And Dave's happy to do all of it because he just likes fucking around and experimenting. I think any of those things are completely possible. Yeah. Um, if it turns out that it was very carefully considered, um, all I can say is, sincerely, congratulations. Um, mm. Slayer really convinced me um, that they had mistakenly let a bit of sloppy and rehearsed ill-conceived um, amateur night crap sneak into one of their songs. Yeah. If it turns out to be intentional, then it has to seriously. It, it kind of reminds me of Les Dawson in, in a strange kind of way. You know, you know Les Dawson's kind of, um, <coughs> you know, piano playing... Yeah, you know, you know, playing songs on the piano deliberately, terribly, even though clearly he's a brilliant pianist. You know, I've heard people talk about his playing style. Look, pianists talk about it and say, you have no idea how difficult it is to do that. Once you've learned rules, once you've been inculcated or indoctrinated into rules and you've been disciplined and disciplined yourself and practiced a lot, it's terribly difficult to break out of habits like that. Mm, mm. Yeah, I'm um, sure. It's very, very difficult to play out of time. It's very, very difficult to... Um, you try and play a bow note um, in a practice or something, you know, I'm going to see what this note sounds like or what this chord sounds like if I play it here. And your muscle memory won't allow you to. Mm. And, and you know um, yourself, you, you know yourself, Doc, you know, if you, if you, if, if you inadvertently sing the, long, sing the wrong lyric... It, it, it throws the, the rest of the track out of kilter in your head, sometimes irrevocably, you know, and catastrophically. Um, yeah, and worse than that, sometimes forever. Yeah, yeah. oh dear. Um, it becomes a permanent mistake. If you do it once, yeah, uh, if you do it once, if you break the pattern just once, um, the experience can actually be so upsetting and it can make such a big impression on you um, that you develop a sort of return phobia um, and you can't help yourself from going down that path every single time you try and do the track in the future. Mm, mm. It's very interesting. And, any final thoughts on the, on, the, on the song and structure itself before we, before we get on to these, <laughs> these infamous lyrics? I mean, we're still not at the stage, I don't think, um, of there being much that's really, really, really remarkable. The individual components are all things that we've heard Slayer do before. They're not breaking much new ground um, in the things that they're doing. The new ground they're breaking is the way in which they're assembling them. Mm -hmm. um, so we've already heard tracks with Slayer's hardcore influence. We've already heard tracks with 
Slayer's Northern influence. We've already heard tracks with Slayer's black metal influence. Um, and we've already heard tracks with Slayer's sort of experimental influence. I don't think we've had a track before that chucks them all into the same track at the same time um, mm. and arranges them in such a jarring way. Mm. There seems to be a deftness to it, though. You know, there's a deftness of touch to this track that, that perhaps we haven't heard before. Um, you know, I can see a sophistication here that, 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 you know, that perhaps we're hearing for the first time. Um, you know, obviously we've had like the, you know, the, the, the thrash assaults of, of stuff like Black Magic and Chemical Warfare. You know, the ominous intro of Hell Awaits. Um, the excellent breakdown in something like um, Die by the Sword. But for me, this is the first time when all of these ingredients, are, uh, there's no ominous intro admittedly, but everything else is there. Everything else that we think of when we think of a Slayer track, it's all here, Doc. Yeah, um, there's a great expression. Um, I've just about brought it to mind. Um, about a completely different band. I'm not even confident I can remember what band but someone described it as um, a band who used to steer super tankers and now they're steering an F-15. Um, and what we're talking about, previously the band in question, whoever it was, um, they telegraphed their time changes or tempo changes. They telegraphed their big changes well ahead of time. And you could almost see relatively inexperienced or not very good musicians um, gearing up to do the change. And it was a major piece of work. It was like steering a ship. Mm. You have to plan the turn hours in advance. You have to consult the charts. You have to make sure there's nothing in the way. Um, and then there's constant nods to each other, constant hand signals, constant thumbs up. Are we good to go? Can we turn? Let's turn now. <laughs> um, and then suddenly um, you get that leap. And uh, the, what, what the chap who made the expression said was, uh, and then suddenly they're, they're, they're steering an F-15. Um, and the, the members of the crew and the ground control board and the people on the ground know each other well enough, they're absolutely in sync, and they're the masters of their machinery, uh, the thing they're operating, that they can go um, 8G among them, 4, 3, 2, push. Yeah. And it yeah. just works. Yeah, it, it, it's that difference, isn't it, when, you know, in a band between, you know, kind of working together and then just becoming telepathic, basically. Welcome to part three of the show, Evil Speak. Here, we read through and dissect the lyrics that Tom is generally screaming in our direction. So, here goes. Verse one. Most will bring dead of night, my body stopped crying. In my mind, the whole lives to feel their deep inside. Relentless loss of a rotting flesh, the dice to do she lies. Demon horror, Satan trap. Mortuaries, dead of night, my body starts to rise. In my mind, the horror lives to feel death deep inside. Relentless lust of rotting flesh to thrash the tomb she lies. Heathen whore of Satan's wrath, I spit at your demise. Always oh, a charmer, isn't he? Oh, Tom, he's a charmer. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> So much interesting stuff, even in these two short verses. Mm. Um, in the previous track, 
um, we studied. Um, we, we, we had a little smile about um, Slayer kind of discovering onomatopoeia for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, in this track, in these two verses, they're really reveling in the sound of words. Um, and they're greatly enjoying experimenting with and playing with the, the sounds that the words make. Um, I love that relentless thrust of rotting flesh. Yeah. Almost every <clears throat> kind of nasty, gurgling phoneme that is used in regular spoken English mm -hmm. crops mm -hmm. up in that. Um, and, you know, then you, you get some really nice bits of assonance, uh, heathen horror of Satan's wrath. Yeah. Um, and this, the feeling of people who have actually got a grasp of poetry um, in these first couple of verses here. Um, but you're right, uh, he is a little charmer. Um, it's it, it's got it's got a re I mean just you know I mean it, it's almost redundant to say but it's got just such a horror vibe. I, I do wonder you know what 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 they were, what you know what they were reading what they were watching at the time you know that that inspired this 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 track because I I mean mate mate to me I mean I, I know the I know the subject matter is pretty grisly and. And they also had this, we'll get to it in the next couple of verses, they had a veneer of the metaphysical, don't they, and the theological to it, and the supernatural. Um, yeah. but, it, but it really puts me in mind of something like, I spit on your grave, last house on the left, those real kind of exploitation, really down and grimy, nasty, late 70s American horror. Well, maybe not even horror, but you know, just exploitation is the word, isn't it? Exploitation movies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think in many ways this, you might want to say this kind of um, reflects the um, ethnic composition of Slayer itself. A lot of those films were made by people who grew up or whose families grew up in conservative, often Roman Catholic usually European, but sometimes South American cultures, um, and who seem to really, really revel and take advantage of and be intoxicated by um, the freedom of being in the US mm -hmm. and the freedom of being able to work largely without commercial pressures, very, very largely without state censorship. <clears throat> um, and, uh, I mean, particularly in the case of the ones you just mentioned, I split on your grave, last house on the left. Very much a feeling of, of, of um, an unbridled sense of nastiness, mm -hmm. um, just being vomited out um, into a public medium. And um, I think that's the vibe um, you're getting from here. Um, it's not being done strictly for offence. You could say it's a little puerile and it's a little juvenile and it's just literally what is no one watching me anymore? Can I say stuff like this? Can I share yeah. stuff like this? Can I do stuff like this? Really? Yeah. Abel, um, Abel Ferrara comes to mind with this, you know, with uh, Driller Killer and Bad Lieutenant, you know, um, you know, just not strictly speaking horror films, but, but, but there is just this kind of 
nasty, seedy undercurrent to it. You know, oh, can can you know, can I get away with this? Basically. Yeah, um, there's an interview with George Romero um, from a program that Jonathan, Jonathan Ross did the interview with him, and I think I, I put it about 1987. And George Romero is talking about when um, Night of the Living Dead came out. Um, and what George Romero says is um, there'd been a couple of groundbreaking mainstream films earlier on. Um, and in his exact words, I'm pretty sure I've got this right, he says, so next we're looking for the day when you could say shit then we were looking for the day when you could say fuck and it kind of felt a bit silly to me but that doesn't mean i wasn't going to do it mm, mm. yeah and we certainly see that on tv now um, don't we you know with <clears throat> you know on, on regularly on channel four now that you know they'll drop the c-bomb um and i don't remember hearing the word cunt on tv maybe before the year 2000 um only in uh, only in interviews and documentaries. Um, yeah. I think Kenneth Tynan. I, I think Kenneth Tynan um, said it purely for effect mm. on the South Bank show okay. in the mid eighties. Okay. Um, I think um, he was being interviewed, and he literally said something along the lines of, um, "You know, I'm interested to know uh, if I'll be censored if I say the word cunt during mm. this interview." <laughs> Let's look at some specific lines here. Repeated use of the word thrash. Now, they use the word thrash here again. Now, I think this is the third time they've used the word thrash in the lyrics on the Hello Ice album that we've, that we've got done so far. Now, do you think this is just because that term had become popularised with regard to the style of music they were playing and they were just kind of playing it up a little bit? I have no idea. Um, I don't think it's a very good word. Mm. Uh... I mean, um, I don't even know what action um, they're attempting to connote by the use of the verb to thrash. Um, I mean, really? Like, t uh, taking a leather whip and, and, and beating the two? Would, would, would a stone tomb really mind being beaten with a leather whip? Is that a particularly extreme thing to do? But you could th but you could th um, you could thrash at something with your with your fists, couldn't you? If you're if you're buried in a tomb or in a grave, and you're trying to get out, you could you could thrash at it with your fists. I think. Yeah, um, but I, I can I can think of much better verbs to use. Um, yeah. I, I just don't think thrash is a particularly evocative word, and mm. um, I'm very curious as to why they choose to keep using it. Mm. Um, I'm tempted to agree with you. I'm tempted because they're now playing uh, a kind of music which has been identified or self-identified as thrash metal and they're determined to use the word thrash as often as they could. Yeah, I suppose in the way that people like Witchfinder General uh, used to use the words heavy metal as often as they could. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think um, that's a thread that sort of uh, goes all the way to... Um, all the way through to Man of War, who I believe have at least 245,000 songs uh, where the chorus consists of them chanting heavy metal, heavy metal, heavy metal, <laughs> heavy metal. And, and you're forgetting um, Impaled Nazarene's love of the word goat, of course. <coughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's the stuff of legend in its own right. Um, I just need to 
let, let, for a second. The last two lines here, Doc. And, um, Heathen whore of Satan's yeah. wrath. I spit at your demise. Is is there some kind of connection between the aggressor here and the victim? D you know, d does he know her? There's a few things going on here. Um, heathen whore of Satan's wrath. I don't think it is, but it sounds like um, a line you get from the English dub of a European Spanish Inquisition exploitation film from the mid-70s, doesn't oh, it? Oh, yes. We're talking uh, Alacarda would be a, a fine example of this, I think. Yeah, or The Conqueror Worm or The Bloody Judge. Mm -hmm. um, any of those films that um, used some historical incidents such as the Spanish Inquisition or the witch trials in Germany or the witch trials in Massachusetts um, or um, the alleged satanic possessions in Loudon mm -hmm. um, as an excuse to um, show lots of attractive young women um, naked and being whipped and tortured and branded and um, you know, all of those terrible, terrible things that we do not approve of at all now, do we? And definitely do, do not want to see in our films. No, 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 no. Definitely not. Uh, any more than we want to see satanic lesbian nuns in our films. <laughs> or, yeah, exactly. Or, or, you know, Premier League footballers kicking the living shit out of each other and, and breaking each other's legs. I can't imagine why we want to see anything like that. No. Um... um Let's move on to the little break section. It's only three oh. lines. Here we go. Virgin child, now drained of life. Your soul cannot be free. Not given the chance to rot in hell. So here's my question. And this is why I asked, does the attacker know the victim? You know, what, what, why is he assuming that she was going to hell in the first place? Um, I'm assuming that the, the protagonist of the song, um, I'm assuming he's the witch hunter or the grand inquisitor or uh, the, the, the Matthew Hopkins character. Mm. Um, the, the, um, the lady in question, the, 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 um, the, the heathen whore of Satan's wrath, um, is we assume someone whose execution he has engineered. Um, I mean, you, you have these two adjacent sections where he addresses her as a heathen whore of Satan's wrath. Um, and then two lines later, he addresses her as a virgin child. Mm. Um, and there's, there's, there's a very odd kind of sort of remorse being shown here. He's talking about someone who presumably he has arranged to have executed unjustly. Um, and um, it's almost like, well, if she had been the heathen whore of Satan's wrath, well, she'd been safely in hell now. But damn it all, she's a pure and innocent virgin, and she's not even going to get the chance to rot in hell. Mm. Verse 2, here we go. Satan's cross points to hell, the earth I must uncover. A passion grows to feast upon the frozen blood inside her. I feel the urge, the growing need, to fuck this sinful corpse. 
My task complete, the bitch's soul lies raped in demonic lust. Now, this is the verse, isn't it, that, that, that caused such such outcry, I believe. Yeah, um, and um, this is kind of like, uh, this This is the moment um, in this episode I've been looking forward to. Um, I'm sure there are video sharing sites out somewhere um, that may have a record of a documentary shown in the year 1990 um, called Dancing with the Devil, presented by Stephen Wells, longtime writer for the New Musical Express. Um, and it's a documentary about the censorship of heavy metal and, to a lesser extent, hip-hop in the late 80s and very early 90s. Um, and, um, effectively, not a protest documentary in its own right, um, but attempting to point out that um, material that would normally be protested about by right-wing groups or Christian groups or right-wing Christian groups Maybe they protest about it. Maybe they would ask record stores in their neighbourhood not to stop it. Maybe they put something in their sermons about it. But in the latter half of the Reagan era, um, something very unpleasant happened, which is that people began taking other people to court and trying to put people in prison mm -hmm. um, for writing stuff. Um, and it was it was a cause of great upset. Um, not just because it seemed like a ridiculous overreaction. Um, it seemed like a very big block um, against um, a country which prided itself on civil liberties and freedom of speech and in the state not interfering with common people expressing themselves. Um, many people viewed it as the thin end of a wedge. So what started out as censorship on the ground of decency um, would end up with censorship on the grounds of politics. And this is probably a discussion for another episode because it, it does touch on this a bit, but not very much. And this is a big topic in its own right that I don't want to sell short. The legal mandate for making pornography or indecency unacceptable made for some very, very, very strange bed bedfellows. Um, a bunch of people formed alliances with each other who clearly had nothing to do with each other, clearly hated each other's guts. Um, but for political expediency, expediency and for achieving their, their own ends, they actually made some pretty unholy alliances of their own. I'm not going to follow that anymore at the moment because that will come up later. Mm -hmm. um, and that deserves um, an interesting sort of um, side note. <clears throat> In this documentary, um, Dancing with the Devil, Stephen Wells travels to... I don't even think it's in the South. I believe it's in the Midwest. I have an idea it's Indiana or Idaho or, Idaho or somewhere like that. Um, and um, visits a sermon that's been given by not even a particularly fundamentalist preacher, um, a conservative but not stupidly extreme um, Protestant preacher. Um, and the guy has an overhead projector set up with the lyrics of this song um and it was very very key for a godless heathen like me um to want to know more about extreme metal um, because the guy in his best but nevertheless cheesy and ill-fitting suit stands in front of his congregation um <clears throat> the camera gets a really nice shot of his beer gut 
um, as he intones the immortal words, this is a song about raping a corpse. The song is about raping a corpse. Yeah, the, the, I, I remember um, that documentary. Now, I don't remember, I don't know if I remember it because you showed it to me or because I saw it at the time. I, I, my, my memory is, 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 is diluted. Um, I definitely went around telling everyone a week in advance um, to everyone I knew who was into metal, into hip hop, into horror, um, into any aspect of politics that was concerned with censorship or freedom of speech. And uh, everyone I could get hold of, I tried to make them promise they would watch this documentary at nine o'clock on Friday night. Um, I also recorded it. Um, I watched it so many times that I can still remember a really good chunk of it. Mm. And if for no other reason, um, because Stephen Wells is very canny, um, the first 20 seconds are going to make you want to listen to death metal because the, doc the, the documentary starts off and you've got to tell me if you remember this part because it's beautiful. It starts off with a record burning um, in some other um, fairly conservative Christian area somewhere in the US and they're burning death metal records. Um, rather worryingly, if you look closely, they're also burning some disco records and they're also burning some pretty innocuous hip-hop records mm -hmm. and it makes you wonder what the agenda could possibly be there because there's nothing in the lyrics of any of those records uh, so it makes you wonder why they might be burning those particular records um, notwithstanding the fact that many of them are read by black people and gay people I was going to say it doesn't, um, make, it doesn't make me um, real stock. it's pretty fucking clear yes um and uh, you get a nice big close-up of the, the, the fire that's burning the records. And very, very slowly, uh, the, the crackle of the flames, the sound of the crackle of the flames fades into, at the same time as the image of the crackling flames fades into the image of Glenn Benton's hair thrashing backwards and forwards and uh, the opening riff to Sacrificial Suicide by Deerside. <laughs> the fade is done beautifully and seamlessly and for a good five seconds you can't tell where the crackle of the flames and the sound of the roof ends and you can't tell where the flickering flames and glenn's beautiful flashing hair ends and it's 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 a supreme moment of the vision mixes art and when it's over you think to yourself i don't even care anymore i must find some death metal and listen to it <laughs> I wonder how many people they converted to death metal and how many people they uh, they put off. I suspect anybody that was going to be offended was already offended, and, then, and that, there may have been some converts along the way. Well, this is it, isn't it? Um, one of the silly mistakes these people make is assuming that death metal is ever going to have mass appeal. No, death metal is never going to have mass appeal. Um, death metal is only ever going to be fairly large-scale cult music. Um, what those people did, which I suspect was not their plan, was to make a lot more people curious about death. Yeah, of um, course. There were people, um, there, there, uh, there were people I knew um, who were just like left-wing politicos and anti-establishment types who couldn't have given a stuff about heavy metal of any kind up to that moment um, until suddenly uh, it became this, this banner to rally around because it, it wound up right-wing Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this is 
this is some, this is something that somebody wants to censor, so automatically I like it. Well, this is um, the, this is the Streisand effect in play, okay. isn't it? Basically, if you if you try to ban something, you automatically make people more interested in it. But I think in, in a very very focused, um, very Newtonian way, um, with the case of death metal, um, if you protest about Elvis Presley being sinful, then you'll probably get a whole country full of people going, oh, I wonder what's so interesting about Elvis Presley. When I get the chance, I might take a look at Elvis Presley and see what's so simple about him. But if you're a ranting, right-wing, hellfire and damnation preacher, um, I must point out, by the way, um, in an attempt to be fair uh, in all things, possible most christians are conservative to a greater or lesser degree um i'm not saying that all of them are ranting hellfire and damnation idiots it is possible to have conservative opinions it's possible to be politically conservative without being a massive asshole about it the people in this documentary do not fall into that category mm -hmm. um i think even if they haven't found themselves on the politically conservative part of the spectrum they would have found a way to have been massive assholes yeah let's um, um let, 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 let's look at some work. let's look at some specific lyrics doc here we go um i, I love this first line satan's cross points to hell that, 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 that's a great opener my god that's brilliant it's such a great image because it's true isn't it the inverted crucifix that's exactly what it does and it, but it's so evocative yeah um i would be surprised or i wouldn't be surprised if this turns out to be online spoken um by some sort of decadent aristocrat satanist um in some some in some sort of euro trash film mm. um i can you know really imagine um some sort of smooth suave guy in a neat mod suit um with a mullet and a big porn star mustache and a black cloak um presiding over a satanic ritual in um probably like um West London somewhere in 1968 and sort of making the sign of the horns and going, Satan's cross points to hell. <laughs> the only other lines I picked out here um, were the last two, really. My task is complete. The bitch's soul lies raped in demonic lust. I mean, clearly not very pleasant and pretty hard to escape the misogyny accusation here. What do you reckon about that, Doc? It, I think it's hard to read it any other way than, than deeply um, horrible to women. Yeah, I will try and not go on my third huge philosophical discourse of the evening. Um, is it intrinsically misogynistic to show misogyny? Mm. Um, the first two verses of this song set out that um, the protagonist, the person who's narrating the song, is not a sympathetic character. I posited earlier that he's a corrupt, unjust inquisitor or witch hunter um, of some description, who, um, according to the song, in his own mind, having unjustly executed um, an innocent woman for being a heathen whore of Satan's wrath, effectively now has to make things right. Um, and in order for her to be accepted into hell, um, so this is obviously real. Um, it's definitely not the last time Slayer will enter the mind of a madman. 
um, and try and construct a narrative according to how an absolute lunatic views the world. Mm-hmm. I think what we're being invited to look at here um, is lunatic logic. Mm-hmm. Um, in case anyone needs to hear me say this, no, Slayer are not advocating rape. Slayer are really, really not advocating rape. All of you um, undead, um, inquisitorial, um, corrupt judges out there, no, Slayer are not endorsing you committing rape. So stop this, it. This is, the, this, this is the point, though, isn't it, isn't it Doc? You know, it's, it's, it's all about perspective. You know, the, the accusation of misogyny is valid if it's Tom Araya saying it from his point of view, but that is not what is happening in the song, is it? It is from the point of view of this clearly, you know, supernatural entity that has risen from the grave and he, and, and, and through, through his own twisted logic believes that, you know, that this is the thing he needs to do. So it's, it's not an advocation of it. It's an, it's an, an, an a study an analysis of the inner workings of, a total maniac. Yeah, um, and it's we're, we're going to be spending a lot more time inside the skulls of maniacs of varying stripes. We're going to we're going to be spending the time inside the skulls of mad doctors, dictators, serial killers, um, all kinds of seriously fucked up people. And Slayer are going to put us inside the skulls of a lot of people like that. Let's let's move on to the next verse. Her stomach bursts, the casket breaks, the seed has taken form, a writhing shape of twisted flesh. The devil's child. The devil's child is thrown, hungry for the smell of death. He rules forbidden evil, vengeance with a frenzied hatred. The bastard now must die. Absolutely wonderful, wonderful kind of gothic horror stuff going on here. Wonderful, wonderful lines. Um, a couple of questions though. Well, firstly, that fourth line, the devil's child is thrown. Now, surely that is the devil's child is grown. But I've checked this in three different places and they all say thrown. That makes no sense to me. Surely that must be the devil's child is grown. Um, Unless it's a very archaic use um, in a completely different context. Um, I came across the verb covered, um, meaning raped. Mm. quite recently. Um, I can't read this line without thinking of uh, an absolutely adorable bit of footage um, I saw of a panda giving birth once. Um, And the baby panda is literally thrown um, as if by compressed air um, (laughs) out of the vagina of the mama panda. Um, It it describes quite a graceful arc. There's there's no other words you can use to describe it. Um, the panda literally, the, the, the big panda literally farts out this tiny, bald, pink, black panda which goes flying halfway across the room. <laughs> and just reading the last couple of um, lines of this verse, I, I, I can't help thinking of that. I, I'm afraid it does not help me take the song any more seriously. Um, 
Well, you say something interesting. It could be an archaic, archaic use of the verb or an alternative use of the verb, because that puts me in mind of something. Midwives talk about catching babies, don't they? They don't talk about giving, but you know, you know. Yeah. So, what, what do we catch? What do we catch? Don't we catch things that are thrown? Don't we? So maybe that's a usage that we, we we're just not aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this last verse has put me in mind of um, a story um, or myth or legend that I have heard um, invoked um, as one of the documents seized by the Spanish Inquisition, um, by the French Inquisition, in fact, um, when the Order of the Knights Templar were being dissolved. Now, obviously, there's a ton of bullshit that goes around all of that stuff. I don't even know how much of it is reliable. <laughs> I think it's an interesting story. Um, apparently, this story was written down and held in the Paris Preceptory, and it's an origin story for the Knights Templar. Um, it talks about um, a knight um, who was beloved of a maiden um, who died for some reason or other, for the reasons that people did in those days. Um, and it says, this wicked lover uh, went into the space where she was interned and violated the corpse, and thence a voice spake from him to him <clears throat> from inside the grave, saying, Return in nine months, and you shall receive a son. When he returned after nine months, within the grave he found not the maiden's body, but a skull and two long bones, and a paper which told him to bear this with him. The bone head became his guiding genius. And it was said that he could defeat his enemies merely by showing them the head. <clears throat> you can find stories a bit like that all over the place. Um, but it's interesting for me in the context of this song to think about um, there's a legend of some description that existed in 12th century France of um, a knight, one assumes a man of God, raping a corpse. The song is about raping a corpse. Um, and receiving, in exchange for this, instead of punishment, um, receiving some sort of artifact that seems like it's um, a skull and crossbones, um, which have the power to daunt or terrify or defeat his enemies just by showing it to them. Sure. Um, I don't know if there's any influence on this song. Um, it's just something I felt like I should bring up. That's very, 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 very interesting. Um, <clears throat> the... the the last two lines interest me, particularly with regards to your kind of theory about this kind of, you know, resurrected inquisitor that, 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 that first is angry with the woman, but then kind of seems to feel compassion. But then these, these last two lines don't, don't jive with that at all, do they? Vengeance with a frenzied hatred. The bastard now must die. Um, for, I mean, firstly, vengeance for what? And why must the child die? You know, you, you chose to create him. You, you, you've decided to commit this act. You, 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 you knew the consequences. And, and now you seem furious for the thing you decided to do. It doesn't make any sense. Well, um, because presumably the, uh, the heathen whore of Satan's wrath has, 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 has somehow seduced this pious man of God uh, hmm. into breaking his oath of chastity. Oh, so it's um, her fault. It was, her, it was her that made him do it. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Um, I can see that angle. Yeah. Um, and the, the the only other thing I wanted to ask was, he rules forbidden evil. 
in your mind, Doc, what forbidden, um, what forbidden evil is being ruled? Um, I don't know. Mm. Now, I fall into this trap a couple of times. I, I, I started off by sniggering and saying, well, we're going to have to chalk this up to some not very good Slayer lyrics, just this once. And then four or five minutes later, I've ended up eating my words and going, ah, but you see what it could be about is... Mm. The use of forbidden evil. Is there some sort of evil that isn't forbidden? Is there some sort of evil that's okay, do we suppose? Um, no, no, not, not, not the acceptable kind of evil, not the okay kind of evil. This is, we're talking about forbidden evil. Here. Yeah, not, not, not traffic wardens, for Christ's sake. Not lawyers. No. No. Um, no, this, this is very strictly forbidden evil. Mm. Um, um, is the forbidden evil some brand of evil where even an undead inquisitor, rapist, child murderer is reluctant to go? Mm, mm. So this is a form of evil, so evil, even the evil inquisitor won't, won't get near it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. And, uh, because um, I, I, I think we actually get a bit of a description as to what the forbidden evil is um, in this last section. Um, and it, it goes a bit beyond uh, just um, a bit of idle um, grave violation and, 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 and corpse raping. The song is about raping a corpse. Why don't you read it to us? souls of the dead form legions that burst through <laughs> I, mean, I nearly got to the end of this song without chuckling doc i almost made it <laughs> lost souls of the dead form legions that burst through hell's gates death of one sacrifice to avenge the rape corpse from the grave blood of one mortal man the fire grows stronger within fate of a frenzied lust lucifer takes my dark soul and then just the great delivery at the end they're down to the fiery pits of hell and that and that's the end of the words we've got there i i, I think these last two these last two well, i mean it, this bit really is kind of like a final breakdown it's not really a verse is it but but whatever we want to call it i, I, I think it's great again it's just that you know strong evocation of kind of gothic horror if it makes a jot of sense, to be honest, really doesn't make it much difference to me by this by this point in this song. You know, I've got a, I've I've got I've got the point. You know, I understand the mood they're going for, the ambience that's being sought here. Um, <clears throat> the lost souls of the dead form legions that burst through hell's gates. So, so why we've got an inquisitor that somehow has risen. Um. From the, from the grave, decided to rape a corpse of a woman. The song is about raping a corpse. And somehow this act creates a baby that, that he decides he needs to kill. And on top of that, has also kind of brought to life 
and and, and like a, it's almost like it seems like a call to arms, a call to action to the to the to the to the, to, to the ghastly legions of hell. What the fuck is happening, Doc? What's going on? Well, the um, the, the the child, um, the the outcome um, of the rape he has committed. Um, he, he's he's overstretched himself a bit. Um, it, it's um, it's not a normal baby. Um, it's not the normal baby you would expect as the result of a zombie inquisitor um, raping an innocent woman. It's a different sort of baby. Um, it rules forbidden evil, um, and it seeks vengeance with a frenzied hatred. Um, and I think we better. In, in, I, I'm going to call this section the the coda or the epilogue. Mm-hmm. And in this code or epilogue, uh, we get a bit of an insight into uh, what the forbidden evil is. Um, And it's an invocation or an invitation um, for another Slayer favourite, the Army of the Dead. Um, Lost Souls of the Dead form legions that burst through Hell's gates. Um, The word legion there is very specifically chosen, I suspect, to be... Um, a military formation. It's mm-hmm. not a horde that bursts through Hell's Gates. Uh, it's not a rabble that bursts through Hell's Gates. Um, I think you're meant to imagine, um, and I bet you there's a comic book with this cover, um, I think you're meant to imagine a literal Roman legion of rotting skeletons. Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah, certainly. swords and... <clears throat> yes, yeah, certainly. When I hear the word legion, I automatically think of, you know, a, a Roman army doing that kind of armadillo defence that they used to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, you're quite correct. But, um, this one is clearly um, a bit more rotten and a bit more skeletal. Mm. Um, the one sacrifice... <coughs> the one sacrifice, I presume, is the child. Would that be correct? Yeah, I think so. To avenge um, the raped corpse from the grave. So how, how does killing the child avenge the you know the poor corpse of the woman that was that was violated where's the vengeance i don't i don't get that point. do we assume it was all part of the plan that you know that, that there's there's a prophecy or there's a piece of dark magic somewhere that when a zombie inquisitor rapes the corpse of an innocent woman and sacrifices the resulting child in the correct way it causes the gates of hell to open. i mean it, it, it's it's full on nuclear faulty stuff here um, perfectly plausible. If this was a, this was a Lucio Fulci film, um, what I've just said, um, we the viewer would get to know um, by some quiet mousy girl um, reading a tome of ancient evil sat in the corner, and she'd go into a trance and her eyes would glaze over, even though she's supposed to be reading from the book. Um, so even though she's supposed to be getting this information from the book that's on her knees, Talk, she'd go into a trance and her eyes would glaze over and she'd start speaking in another person's voice. Mm. Um, and she'd explain this part of the plot. In the, in the best Italian horror movie as well, that girl would be blind and she'd be reading, she'd be reading it from some kind of braille tome. It'd be absolutely terrifying stuff. Um, blood of one mortal man. So who's the mortal man? Because it's clearly not the evil inquisitor. We can't call him mortal. He's risen from the fucking dead and, and raped a corpse and created some kind of devil baby. The song is about raping a corpse. Surely we can't call him mortal. 
I assume he was once, um, and um, presumably after his own natural death or his death at the hands of a vengeful mob, um, or um, as in the case of Matthew Hopkins, which find a general, as in the case of in, in the case of uh, his death at the hands of a, 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 a vengeful lover or um, uh, someone with an emotional attachment to at least one of the women he's unjustly killed. Um, it's all part of the plan. Um, so we've, um, we've actually got another bit that needs to be slotted into the plan. Um, what we'll say is, um, if um, the zombie or a corrupt inquisitor who has been killed in revenge for the unjust execution of an innocent virgin um, comes back to life and rapes the corpse and produces a demon child and then sacrifices it, that'll open the gates of hell. Easy. What the I, th I think I've seen this episode of Jonathan Creek. It was an absolute cracker. Um, <laughs> um, I, I mean, the rest seems pretty self-explanatory. Um, final thoughts on the lyrics, Doc. I think we're running a bit long, as usual. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, is it misogynistic? Is it offensive? I can't bring myself to find anything offensive about necrophilia. Mm, mm. I just can't. Uh, trust me, people, corpses don't mind. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Um, I and I wasn't saying I thought it was. I was just putting it out there as, as, as a topic of discussion. It's a discussion that's always worth having. Um, I don't think it's ever a mistake to be vigilant. Um about one's politics. I also think it's necessary to keep things in perspective. Certain things, for instance, come from certain periods of history, and we could hope that we've learned something since then. Mm. Um, some things are done for narratorial purposes. Some things are done for shock purposes. Some things are done for political purposes in their own right. Mm. Um, I don't think it's ever a mistake to be vigilant about it. I don't think it's ever a mistake to question things like that and keep your eye on them. I would like to think that after years and years and years of scholarship on the subject, we could begin to take a nuanced view or a sophisticated view. Um, in the end, there has to be an end to the endless self-scourging. There has to be a means of human inquiry where we can critique this stuff and be aware of its flaws, um, and have fun with it nevertheless. Because, honestly, you know what? Um, no real people and no animals were hurt in the making of this song. No, absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Um, yeah, for me, it's all about intent. You know, to, just to finish that, that the, you know, that, that, that line of, of, of conversation we're having, to me, it's all, it's all about intent. It's all about perspective, you know, um, as you said very eloquently, maybe 10 minutes or so ago, Slayer are not advocating the rape of of, of women, I mean, let alone dead women. Um, you know, it, it, it is all part of a, of a, of a narrative. What, what you think of the narrative, I suppose, you know, that's down to personal opinion. And I, I can fully understand why somebody would read these lyrics and find them deeply, deeply problematic. Um, offensive is a word I'm always, I always struggle with because I think... In general, we choose to be offended. 
um, you know, it's a choice we make. And if you feel offended about something, well, you know, just make a better choice, basically. Um, I think they're great lyrics. I think I think they're evocative, gothic, horror-tastic, and, yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Welcome to part four of Slaytanic Vercast. Here, we just offer our final thoughts and summations and discuss anything we might have inadvertently missed along the way. But you know what comes first, Doc? Some details. Writing credits. Uh, music by Mr. Jeff Hanneman. Lyrics by Hanneman and King. Um, set this. This was played by Slayer 455 times putting it in 20th position so quite lofty um first play was in keystone berkeley barclay however we say it in berkeley barclay and that was in 1984 um last play was in a place called alcatraz in milan now i presume that's milan in italy and, and alcatraz is some kind of club i'm guessing um yeah, that was in 2017 so they played pretty consistently. Go on, Doc. Um, no, I was just going to say, um, if it turned out they played it in pretty much in Berkeley the one week and then Alcatraz the next, that would be pretty funny because I think um, Alcatraz, the former California State Correctional Facility, is probably only about four miles from Berkeley. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's what it, it, I'm presuming that. You never know. Maybe there is a Milan. In, in somewhere in California, but I don't think so. I presume it's the Italian one. Yeah. Um, now, <clears throat> come on then, Doc. Give me your final thoughts on the song before we before we drop the scores. Um, I thought this was a great track. Uh, I think I've sort of probably heaped enough praise on it during the course of the last hour and a half. <clears throat> um, the lyrical contents of nearly anything I can imagine almost never bother me. And frankly, when you're talking about zombies raping corpses. The song is about raping a corpse. And fathering demon children and then sacrificing them. Um, I don't honestly understand how anyone can draw a fence from anything that Howlingly Camp. Mm-hmm. Um, in the nature of Howlingly Camp, I think it's extremely effective. Um, it evokes the spirit of a lot of things that I like and love, um, many of which are also howling we can. Mm. Thanks, um, Doc. I presume you're talking I, about I mean, me. I, 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 yeah, absolutely. Of I course. Yes. Um, it's getting to the point where we can begin to recognise the brutality and the intensity um, of Golden Age Slayer. We're not quite there yet, um, but what we've still got is... The sense of fun, the sense of cheese, the sense of theatre, uh, the sense of pulp horror um, that was always there right from the very beginning, probably from the second track on the first album. That's why I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, yeah. Very, very well said. I, I, I second your opinion about um, about the lyrics. You know, I, I, I do not understand how you, you know, you could, you could, you know, read a story about zombies raising from the dead and, and, and zombie, ch- zombie children being born from demon seed. 
legions of, of hell bursting through hell's gates. How you can take this stuff seriously is literally beyond me. I have no idea. Um, in terms of the song itself, I think it's I think it's a masterclass in restraint. Actually, uh, you know, we, we we mentioned earlier that like the the kind of mid paceness of it. I think I think if they'd have sped this up by ten percent, it would not be as great a track as it is. So you know, kudos to uh, Lombardo there for you know his metronomic uh, control. I would say. Um, Yet for me, it is the standout song on the album. Um, are you ready to give your scores, good doctor? Yes, I am. Um, so, not perfect um, for the following reasons. Um, still not sure whether that bit in the middle is under-rehearsed or intentional. If it was intentional, I would have liked them to have done it in a sloppier, less disciplined, nastier, noisier way. Um, so we can witness the full power of, of, of the pullback. Um, there's a couple of other bits of musical weakness that don't really bother me all that much, um, but contrasted with the overwhelming sense of fun and sense of progress in this track, um, they serve to bump it down to eight. Eight Lequescent Swords out of ten from uh, Dr. Lequescence there. Yeah, I mean, for me, I... I the, the only point of detraction is that is that potentially weak four bars or eight bars, however long it was. Other than that, I really do think this is almost flawless in every regard. As a result, I am going to take one point off for that for that little, little you know moment of fallibility. It gets nine most mutilated skulls out of ten. Seems we loved it, Doc. Seems we fucking loved it. Absolutely. Okay, that about does it for this episode. Don't forget to contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slatanicvercast at gmail.com. Join us next time when we were discussing the sixth track from Hello Ain't's title, Tricks of Eternity. See you then, Doc. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The song is about raping a corpse.